Hello and welcome to The Wire, your national and independent coverage of current affairs right across Australia on community and indigenous radio. I'm Eduardo Jordan coming to you from Radio 40B in Mianjin, Brisbane. And today in the show... I think with all stigmas, I don't think it's particular to gay men, I think it's any stigma that you're going to see anywhere. It's all about information, misinformation, and that feeling of acceptance. A new telehealth service is helping reducing the stigma of gay men's sexual health. We have all the details. Also, a project helping First Nations kids hearing has received funding to expand their research. And later today... In relation to particularly these statements, we would really like to see for the fourth winter and for inhalation and research. These are uh, guidelines from a national funder, but we would like to see them enacted in legislation as well. An animal welfare organization welcomes the decision of the National Health and Medical Research Council to ban methods affecting mice. Which are they? We'll have this and more for you over the next half hour. Thanks for being with us today. We're on air across Australia thanks to the Community Radio Network and the support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. First up today, Queensland Labor has officially endorsed Dr. Stephen Miles as the 40th Premier after Anastasia Palaszczuk announced her retirement. Premier Miles chose Cameron Dick as his Deputy Premier and his cabinet will have five new ministers in the front bench. I asked National Radio News political correspondent Gamanda Kopp what we knew about Ms. Palaszczuk's announcement this week. So this wasn't entirely unexpected. There were sort of whispers around her potentially retiring for a couple of months now, but I don't think anyone was actually expecting her to, to sort of do it before the end of the year. And I think it's pretty rare that you get to leave politics on your own terms. You know, usually you're kind of shoved out of the party after you've stayed too long. And I think really what we need to note here is that it's almost the end of an era. She is the last premier who was leading the states during COVID-19, during the pandemic. The only person who's left is Andrew Barr and the ACT, but they're a territory, not a state. So yeah, real sort of end of an era for a pretty solid period of time here in Australian politics. And she was pretty emotional, you know? You know she's been in this job for nine years. It's a really, really long time. She's actually the longest serving female leader in Australian history. So uh, a pretty big note there. But she didn't really give a lot of reasons for why she was leaving. She essentially just said that it was it was time and that she was tired. So as you mentioned, she's been the Premier of Queensland for the last nine years. What were some of the challenges she faced during her premiership? Yeah, so I mean, I'll start sort of on the positives. She came in pretty impressively, defeated a guy called Campbell Newman, who was a well-known Queensland Premier. And at the time, Labor only had really a handful of seats in Parliament. So she beat him and then won two more times um, and, you know, really established Labor as a, as a pretty big force in Queensland during her time as Premier. And I think, at least from, from her own sort of perspective, she says that, you know, Queensland is, is one of the best economies in the nation. If you compare all the different states, you guys have got lower taxes, lower debt, low unemployment as well, um, and lots of people moving to Queensland, to the Sunshine State. And of course, 
COVID-19 as well. So she was, you know, one of the, those premiers who kind of did fortress Queensland, you know, closed the borders, was quite tough on people coming in and out of the state, which was very popular at the time. So that's sort of, sort of some of the good things. But I guess the more negative aspects is that at the moment, there's a lot of complaints around the health system, housing shortages, and, and a particularly youth crime as well. So those have sort of been issues that have been bubbling away throughout her time and have certainly uh, gotten a lot more attention in recent months. Could you expand a little bit more about these issues uh, that the state will face now that the Premier is living with cost of living, uh, youth crime, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, cost of living is a national problem, but, you know, each state is kind of experiencing it differently. Housing in Queensland is a massive problem. You know, all you have to do is kind of drive through Brisbane and you see all of the massive apartment blocks that have been built as more and more people come into the state. But it's still not enough. And, you know, Brisbane in particular is experiencing a lot of homelessness as well. So that is going to be something that, that continues to be a problem if, if there's not as much supply of housing. The youth crime one, again, has sort of been been a bit of a problem in Queensland. And, and it's really that tension between, you know, how much you sort of put law and order as the solution versus, you know, sort of compassion for, for some of the, the kids who are doing these sorts of crimes. So that's sort of been a, a line that they've had to walk. But, you know, they certainly have been boosting police presence in, in a lot of different towns around Queensland. But I think the one thing that they've really got to focus on at the moment is, you know, you can kind of look at all these policy decisions, but it's only 10 months until the election. So winning the next election is really going to be Labor's top priority in, in the next few months. And they're not looking too great in the, in the polls. So what did the Prime Minister and other uh, federal Labour colleagues say about Ms. Palaszczuk's announcement? I guess this is sort of the benefit of leaving on your own terms, right? Is that there's sort of less mudslinging at the end that sort of forces you out. So most people have said some pretty positive things about her. It's mostly mostly her Queensland colleagues have had a lot of praise for her. You know, they've basically said, you know, she won us three elections and not a lot of leaders are able to do that. So she certainly uh, was good when it came to that. The Prime Minister himself, Anthony Albanese, described her as a Labour hero, a three-time election winner in Australia. Australia's longest serving female premier and of course you know he essentially just said that he that she was always a champion for Queenslanders so you know that they would have met many many times during national cabinet meetings uh, I think she she worked with four different prime ministers that was national radio news political correspondent Amanda Cobb A different take on Australian current affairs. This is The Wire on your community radio. A new platform was launched to reduce stigma around the LGBTIQ plus sexual health. The online telehealth clinic called Hey Fella provides access online seven days a week to gay men seeking PrEP, STI tests, prescriptions and consultations Australia-wide. Hey Fella will expand its services to the LBTIQ plus community in the new year. I asked co-founder of Hey Fella and GP Dr. Chris Quitral what motivated him to open the service. One of the main things is probably the known access uh, limitations 
to most gay men. So I'm gay. Uh, the uh, co-founder, my partner Luke Fuller, is also gay. We hear and see the issues around uh, health stigma and, I guess, limits to accessing all of this. So I myself, uh, I'm also part of the um, Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine, knowing and seeing the, the services that are so difficult to get to people outside of the main cities. We thought we could create something together that would help provide health services to those that need it most. In particular, me being a doctor, I've also worked in gay men's sexual health uh, through the Queensland AIDS Council ever since I was actually a med student and continued volunteering throughout my training. And Luke is a software developer, uh, has developed the entire platform from scratch. We just thought we could put our two abilities together uh, to make something that could really help some people. And and yeah, I guess that was, we finally decided we want to do something together. And, and here it is. We know there's a lot of stigma out there, particularly for gay men. Whenever we go to the GP, it's just very cringe <laughs> talking about all these topics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in, yeah. your, in your expertise, what's the stigma behind gay men's health that doesn't allow us or this community to be open with a GP? I think with all stigmas, I don't think it's particular to gay men. I think it's any stigma that you're going to see anywhere. It's all about information, misinformation, and that feeling of acceptance. So if you, as a person, let's say me as a gay man, go to a, a random stranger that I'm here to provide, to provide me some information, if I don't feel that I can be open to this person for whatever reason, I'm going to either A, withhold something or not be my total self and, and there can be an issue with that. Or if the GP or whomever was to ask a question, they got an answer they didn't expect to receive or they didn't, the provider didn't have education surrounding that, that could make the patient feel like they've done something wrong. And I think that's the biggest thing. So an interesting part of this platform is that it's available Australia-wide and particularly more in regional areas. How critical is for Australians in regional and rural areas to have access to this service? It's extremely critical. As I was saying before, these are the people who unfortunately also don't get regular exposure to LGBTQIA resources, uh, information, even their peers. So you don't hear up-to-date information about, you know, uh, what is the actual management of certain diseases, exposures, what can I take to prevent these? So preventative medicine is always the best medicine. So we can treat things, we can manage things, for example, HIV. Absolutely is completely manageable in Australia, very luckily. We live in a very fortunate society where we can manage this disease, the longevity, your lifespan is not actually limited. You may have some more comorbidities, so other things along the way, but it's no longer a death sentence. And that's because we have the education and we're able to provide that. Now, people in rural and remote Australia, if they don't have the education about prevention, about treatment, about management, or even testing to see if they have something, then they're going to be affected. And, and we see that people outside of the, of the cities have uh, more comorbidities, and that's both straight and gay populations. And what we're trying to do is, is decrease that gap in health from rural and remote communities to those in urban centers. So you mentioned earlier that um, the platform was for gay men. Is, are there any plans to expand it to, to more to the community, you know, for um, transgender uh, Australians, um, queer people, etc.? Yeah, look, we actually do have transgender patients. Transgender men are, are, are men. The only issue with that at this point is that some of the actual medication advice is different. However, we do still open our doors. It's not like we'll say, absolutely not, you can't see us you're not gay. That, that's not how we work. 
Uh, right now, we're just because we're, as I said before, only very brand new, starting fresh. We're focusing on gay men, and obviously, yes, we we focus and we plan to expand. Hey Fella is not here to replace a physical examination. How does Hey Fella work, and where can we get more information about it? So uh, Hey Fella is, uh, as I said, an online telehealth platform. Our website is heyfella.com.au. Um, it is basically it's a sort of three-step service, all online. Yeah, you can request a service through our website 24-7. Basically, we're not open and available 24-7. We do get time to sleep, thankfully. But you're able to zip online, choose whatever option you'd like, and whether that's STI testing, prescriptions, or doctor consults on the phone. Sort of three easy steps. You put in your information, you book a time that uh, we're available, and we go from there. That was GP, a co-founder of Heyfella, Dr. Chris Quitrol. You're listening to The Wire, independent current affairs and community, and indigenous radio. I'm Eduardo Jordan in Brisbane. A big hello to our friends in Alice Springs on ACCC 102.1 FM, to our listeners in Moruya on 2EAR FM, and to the other side of the country to Radio Gulari in Broome, Western Australia. An app helping First Nations children to enhance their hearing and mental health has received $1.5 million in funding from the WA government. Sound Smiles is a project developed by Monash University, Curtin University and Ear Science Institute of Australia, along with First Nations Medical Services in the state. First Nations kids experience hearing loss 10 times more than their non-Indigenous counterparts, leading to social and emotional problems. The Wire's Emma Watsky asked Associate Dean Indigenous from Monash University's Faculty of Information Technology and Nungarman Professor Christopher Lawrence what motivated the group to develop the app. Well, what really inspired the development of Sound Smiles is this big, huge gap and really a lot of lack of information, really, in terms of understanding the social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal kids and young people with hearing loss. And for often these hearing loss is absolutely preventable. You know, otitis media is, is pretty still much significant among Indigenous communities and, and obviously kids are the, at, at the early age are the ones that are prone to this and left un, untreated. It can lead to permanent hearing loss. And how have you approached the culturally sensitive aspect of the app? Well, we partnered with the Southwest Aboriginal Medical Service in Bunbury in Western Australia and the Putanuku Aboriginal Medical Service up in the Pilbara. And so we've really been invited and led by them as our Indigenous community partners. And so we were invited by them to visit those organisations and communities where they provide primary health care. And so we did meet with some locals as well about the situations of mostly from grandmothers. You know, we talked to the grandmothers and they were telling us these two very similar stories about two different Aboriginal kids in two different Aboriginal settings. But they both had the same outcome, which was they both had hearing loss and they were both, you know, had all these challenges with the system in terms of being treated at an early 
stage and having these issues diagnosed at that time or really fighting a system that just wasn't really sensitive to these issues. You know, we're moving further and further into the digital age. What do you think could be, you know, those the benefits of harnessing that merge of approach to healthcare and technology? Well, I think, you know, these, whether they're Aboriginal or non-Aboriginal kids, these future generations have access to technology. And so, you know, these kids, that they've had this technology, they wake up to it. They're born into it. So the, to them, that's just normal, right? I find the technologies that's available now to them, that is just normal stuff that's in part of in their psyche. And and I think that, you know, so, so these things I think is just really, we're working with this generation of, you know, digital capabilities, I guess. So we just got to work with them to actually see how we can enhance their capabilities through these technologies and these devices and continuously build these, you know, digital skills and knowledge up because that's the way they're communicating, that's the way they're learning. And so we want to make sure yeah, that Indigenous kids are part of that. And I can see the app is also set to target both ear health and mental health. Obviously, the body and mind are somewhat connected, but has there been a direct link established between the two? I guess there is. There is evidence to show that. So through the Ear Science Institute of Australia, conducted lots of research around these links and and of course you know it just makes sense right Mm -hmm. you can't hear you can't learn right you can't express and so you know there's a lot of the social emotional well-being of these children is probably 10 times higher than kids who have hearing whether they're aboriginal or non-aboriginal right doesn't matter if kids can't hear then they can't talk and they can't express and of course they're going to be um, dealing with their own um, social, emotional well-being issues that the rest of us take for granted. And what are your hopes for the future of the app, not just in terms of, of children's well-being, but perhaps as a broader community resource as well down the line? Yeah, look, I think what we're doing here, you know, is exactly what you just said. Is It's for the broader community as well. And I think, you know, what we're doing as Indigenous researchers, and that's what, who I am, is obviously I'm going to target my my community because I know what, that these issues are there. But I see we want good hearing for all kids, right, and all young people, so that they all have the skills and equipped with that kind of knowledge that they need to, to get on in life. And so, you know, this has lots of um, transferability and scalability because we're going to continue to upgrade this software when, when it's built and also roll this out across the country. That was Nungarman and Professor Christopher Lawrence from Monash University speaking with The Wires, Emma Watsky. Have you checked out The Wire? It's your national current affairs program. The Wire, taking an independent look at what's happening in Australia and around the world. Fresh voices, new points of view, current affairs with a difference. Don't miss The Wire, daily on community and Indigenous radio across Australia. This week, the National Health and Medical Research Council released a policy statement on forced swim tests and smoke tests in animals and strongly recommends to stop this research method. Animal welfare advocates like Animal Free Science Advocacy welcome the policy, but says the federal government should condemn these methods. 
I ask CEO of Animal Free Science Advocacy Rachel Smith the aim of the organization. We're a non-profit organization. We're advocating for non-animal methods to be used to replace animals in scientific research. We were formerly known as Humane Research Australia and we rebranded fairly recently and now we are Animal Free Science Advocacy. So, the National Health and Medical Research Council has released a statement on research with smoke and also with uh, SWIM. Could you please expand on this and the advocacy's position on it? They just released this week two positions or policy statements on two particular tests which are used in medical research, as you mentioned, the four SWIM test and inhalation research. And the four SWIM test is commonly used to assess the effectiveness of antidepressants, quite a crude test assessing how soon it takes a rodent to resist trying to swim in a beaker of water. And forced inhalation research is used to induce conditions that would be associated with smoking. So mice are placed attached to a tube and smoke cigarette smoke is exposed to them. And then that creates conditions such as asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and they um, investigate the mechanisms of those disease. And the NHMRC have recently released these guidelines, which essentially prohibit funding of these particular types of research for new projects and impose additional restrictions on reviewing and extra justification for projects that are already using these methods. And it's a really positive move from the position of our organisation because these are tests which have been shown to be scientifically invalid and have very strong adverse impacts on the animals, as you could imagine, from those processes. Okay, so what sort of research projects are out there using smoke that we know of? Yes, actually there's only one institution at the moment in New South Wales, which is the Centenary Institute, and they use this particular method, their research group there. It's been used for a variety of different reasons, from most often for the condition COPD. So it may be exposing mice to cigarette smoke, up to 12 cigarettes a day for up to 18 weeks. They are using this to explore different mechanisms. Can they try different drugs or therapeutics to try and prevent those diseases? But the results are not translatable to humans for many reasons, hence this um, funding decision. And it's very difficult for them to replicate that comorbidities and smoking habits of humans in, in mice, and they have a completely different respiratory system and so on. So this research has been taking place at Centenary for about four years. It was previously conducted at the University of Newcastle and the research group transferred to Centenary Institute and it's in their Centre for um, Information. So we very much hope that this funding decision will mean that other funders take on the decision as well and no, no longer agree to fund such unethical and um, unsound scientific research. Okay. Do we know any other methods that could easily replace animals in research? There's a variety of, of different methods, um, depending on, on what the different context is. In terms of the four swim test, there's novel compounds. If you're looking at depression, they can use mathematical or computer modeling. They can repurpose drugs. They can test on um, human tissues or cells and use 3D organs, so organoids or um, organs on a chip. Also, in, in terms of human depression, epidemiology is another valuable tool. So there are other methods that could be used. And in terms of um, smoking research, there again, organ-on-chip is, is the most promising technology that's been used in respiratory research at this point. So this recommendation from the NIHMRC is a step forward, as you mentioned. But what else would you like to see implemented to have an animal-free research? Um, I think one of the key things that we would like to see is really national funding for the development and validation of alternatives. As you've mentioned, it's really important to have these alternatives. We want progressive research, but we want research that's human relevant and has results that will help human patients. So 
we would really like to see investment in a, ideally a national centre for de developing and validating alternative methods such as we see in Europe and the US, for example. In relation to particularly these statements, we would really like to see for the four swim tests it's, and for inhalation and research, these are uh, guidelines from a national funder, but we would like to see them enacted in legislation as well because there is the opportunity for researchers to seek funding from trusts and foundations or other health charities. So we would like to see these restrictions within legislation to really make sure these methods are phased out because if the NHMRC deem them to be unethical and they've gone through a very rigorous process to formulate these statements, then that should be reflected in the legislation as well. That was CEO of Animal Free Science Advocacy, Rachel Smith. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show today. Thanks so much for listening wherever you're in Australia. The Wire is a co-production between community radio stations 2SER in Sydney, Radio Adelaide, 3ZZZ, 4ZZZ and Radio 4EB in Brisbane with the great support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and the Community Radio Network. We'll see you next week, same time, on your local station. And if you would like to listen to any of our stories again, you can go to our website at thewire.org.au. The Wire acknowledges the traditional custodians of the Torval and Jagara countries where this program has been produced, and we pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. Today The Wire came to you from Radio 4EB in Mianjin, Brisbane. I'm Eduardo Jordan. Thanks so much for your company, and we'll see you next time on The Wire.